0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Ponds, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: This is a story that I've been told is a true story. It actually happened... Uh, during the time of Alexander the Great. Most of you that have studied history have learned a little bit about Alexander the Great, probably being one of the, one of the greatest uh, warrior army generals of all time. Well, let me read you this story. It so impacted me, and it really caused me to awaken myself to this message of the resurrection and how easy it is for us to uh, trivialize it. Alexander the Great of Greece was one of the greatest military leaders in all the recorded history. During the brief years of his rule, his army swept through most of the known world, conquering all in its path. Even the mighty Persian Empire, Iran, proved to be helpless before him. As his army marched through Persia, the soldiers went into the villages and the cities, taking whatever they wanted. In the capital, they entered the palace of Darius, or Darius, and one soldier found an attractive leather bag. He looked inside and... They were the crown jewels of Persia. But being ignorant of the value of those precious stones, the soldier looked at them for a moment and then decided that they're just simply worthless, just a bunch of shiny rocks. So he dumped them out, but he kept that beautiful leather bag. He was seen time and time again carrying his prized find, a leather bag, and boasting of the attractive container in which he carried his food for thereafter. Now when I hear that story and I read that to you, it kind of brings a smile to my face, how that he was so close to the crown jewels, himself knowing its value and then being able to do something probably great with that. He just focused on that pretty but almost worthless leather bag. And as I read that, I sometimes think about people in the world today that sometimes they clutch a bag of pleasure, maybe some of the things that they thought would bring them great satisfaction in life. Maybe it's some of the things that they would eat, the wrong things, too much of it, drink the stuff, whatever it is that they can get a hold of that dulls their mind and clouds their thinking, all with those chemicals just to throw away the precious jewels of physical health that have abused their body. Some of you might know a loved one who has misused their body and died a more untimely death. And I, I grieve for them and I grieve for your loss. But we all can do that. Or how about some of the people that They just fill their minds and their eyes and their hearts with lust. And so they look at it in a kind of a temporary, brief sexual gratification, only to throw away the jewels of a wonderful marriage that they could have had had they invested in it. And then perhaps maybe even closer to home to some of us, we get so busy with life that we are just clutching our bag of hard work, long hours, because we want to buy things for our family, only then to throw away the jewel of what our children need the most, our time, our love, all wrapped up in attention for them. And I hope that we don't do that. You know, as we right now celebrate Easter, I don't think there's a big box store you can go in that right as you walk in the door, you are facing all the pastel colors of Easter, of whether they're clothes to buy or trinkets that are out there. Think of all those marshmallow peeps and those chocolate bunnies. And think of all of those brightly colored eggs that are dyed, and now you're saying, wait, well, you're looking in my window at my house? I'm not saying that's wrong, but I am saying this that I think we all can agree, that sometimes we be so immersed in this stuff that the real jewel of this particular time of the year could be lost. And unfortunately, it's one day, one Sunday, that we'll talk about Easter, but reality, the resurrection stays with us every moment of our life for all eternity. Now think about that. The resurrection of Christ is everything to us for every moment of our day. And so should we celebrate Easter? Yeah. Should we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, which I prefer? Yes. But when should we celebrate it? Every waking moment that we have in our life. And so what I'd like to do is to bring to you from this passage at least four jewels that we should look at instead of that uh, nice leather, not so much bound Bible that we have, but the, the leather pouches in which we carry the things of the world and try to fill them up with So we don't miss that uh, handful of shiny stones. And you know, as you look at a stone, it may look nice and it may be shiny, it might be very colorful, but if we really look at it and we really know the value of that, we begin to appreciate it, we begin to protect it, we begin to cherish it, but we also often will show it to others. Well, for us, we might have heard the resurrection even unsaved, we know that. Now that we're saved, we know the value of it to the first degree, But as we park on it, the value of the resurrection takes on the most meaning in our life. That how could we ever even use perhaps the word Easter sometimes in the same breath or conversation as Resurrection Sunday? And again, I'm not here to put a guilt trip on anyone. All I want to do is make again sure that we don't look merely at the beautiful leather bags and we missed some of the jewels that we would be out there. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at four jewels from this passage. And perhaps it will give you some meaning of the significance of the resurrection. So what are some of those jewels? Number one, the jewels of the resurrection determined his plan for our life. That there was a plan involved with Christ and what was going on even before man fell. Now think with me for just a moment. We know that Jesus Christ was already in existence before the world. He was there when the world was created. He is alive forevermore. So even though his body died, he still is alive forevermore. He's alive today and alive forever and ever. That being said now, I want you to know that you and I were in the mind of God before we were born. And in God's mind, he designed us and he placed us in our mother's womb. He carefully did that. Now, whatever mother, whatever person, the mechanism of you being born was still permitted and prescribed by God because God wanted you to have life. Now, he wanted you to have life for as long as he wanted it or as short as he wanted it, but he wanted you to have life. But in that life, as valuable as it still could be in an unsaved state, there are a lot of talented people that really kind of warm our hearts with their talent. Doctors that have helped cure us that were still unsaved. But at the same time, there's nothing more special than one that not only was designed by God, but in His designation that that person could become a part of His forever family by being born again in the family. So there's a plan of God, and it's found in Christ. But I want you to know, as a side note, that you too are part of God's plan. And the plan of God with the resurrection is they're connected to your plan of the need for the resurrection in your own life. Would you follow with me just a moment as we go again over Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23? I want to show you some phrases in there as we do this. Peter begins by saying in verse 22, he says, Men of Israel. Now, he's really talking to the head of households and the men there, particularly of Israel, and I've already explained why he did that. But he says, Now, listen to these words. You would already think that they would want to listen to them, but he kind of points it out by saying, Here, Listen. What do I do to you all when I'm preaching and I really want you to um, pay attention to what I'm saying? What do I generally say? Look up here, don't I? All right. Well, maybe that's Peter's way of saying, you listen now, look up here, I've got something that I want to say. And of course, he was exploding with the prompting of the Spirit because this is recorded in Holy Writ under inspiration. And he says, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, With miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Let's just stop there for a moment. He's reminding them of the time that this Jesus that they heard about, they perhaps even witnessed Him doing these exorbitant type of miracles. And I'm not going to go through them all, but it'd be a wonderful study for you to do over the next quarter of your Bible reading. Just stay in the Gospels and record all the different miracles that He did and how many of them are recorded more than one time. And you're going to see a miracle-working God to wake up the people to help them see that this is just not another man, that this was God. Let's go a little bit further. It goes on to say, just as you yourselves know this man, implying you know this guy. He was around you, you heard about him, many of you saw him, you experienced those miracles. We don't know the names of the people, but we know there was a crowd there and they all came. And then it says, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Now, what would be a great study is for you to be able to see in Scripture how that God already knew man would fall before man fell and already had the plan of salvation already worked out. You could read that as he wrote to Timothy. And as he did all of that, that God knew that I was going to come in the world already a sinner by nature. he know that I'd be in the world a sinner by the choices that I would make. Could any of you deny that we have this nature, this propensity to do sin? I don't think we can. Can we also agree that with that propensity to sin, we did sin? And that's all there. And that man that God gave to us is a God-man, Jesus Christ, and God already knew that. I am so glad that there was a lifesaver already waiting for me when I'd begin to drown. And the reality of it, I entered the world drowning, and he was already there watching. If you don't mind for a personal illustration, um, my mom told me this. She wasn't a believer. She did die a believer in Christ. But she said, Stan, you know, when you were born, you were born on Good Friday. And I said, oh, I believe that. I've been good. No, no, no. I said, I didn't really, Good Friday. She said, You you were born on Good Friday. And she says, Um, you know we don't go to church, we don't believe all that kind of stuff. But there was a church that on Good Friday had a number of their people come in like a little choir, like a little praise team, and came into the hospital room where you were. And while you were there, they sang what I guess you call hymns while you were there. And then they said, and Carol brought this to me yesterday, I I, I forgot all about this. She said do you know your first picture that was taken of you as a baby? And I said, I hope I have my clothes on, you know, that kind of thing. You know how they do. She said, no, the very first picture that your family and I have now of you when you were born is looking up at the camera and you're holding your finger toward heaven. Now, I am not here to say that I was already uh, called uniquely by God like, like he did the apostles or the prophets. But I can tell you that God has his hand on my life as he does yours. And so as I go back over that, I want you to know that the Lord loves you very, very much. And He cares for you so much that even before you fell, it was already predetermined that there would be a sin bearer, a Savior for you and me because God already knew in His plan no good works could ever save us. No religious ritual could ever save us. It's all according to His plan. And then it says, and the foreknowledge there. As I look at that, according to the the plan of God, the predetermined plan, the boundaries were planned, but then the foreknowledge. So it's not just a passive knowledge, that just accidentally happens. It was known ahead of time. So God not only had the plan, all right, I'm going to send a Savior, He actually did send the Savior. He not only had a plan that we would be saved by His death and resurrection, Jesus did die and He rose again from the dead. And that's why I'm glad you're listening at this point, because you can have a lot of information and say, I agree with that. That is so true. But yet yourself, you have not yet placed your complete trust in Christ alone. Which in a sense brings us to the third. Look at the rest of the verse. It goes like this. Go back to the verse. He's now speaking, men of Israel, by extension to you and me in this room or listening uh, to my voice. It says, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men. And put him to death. Well, let me clarify some truths in this passage, that last section there. When he's looking at these people out there, he says, you nailed him to the cross. Well, it's possible that there could be some of those soldiers lingering in the distance. I don't really know that. We don't know that. But I know more this, that when Adam, the very first created man by God, the man created by God, when he fell... He brought the moral ruin of the human race. So all men have sinned in Him and because of Him, and now we're held responsible for our own sin. So therefore, in a sense, if I'm going to have eternal life, someone has to take the punishment for me. And so when Jesus died on the cross, He died up there. I didn't nail His hands physically to the cross. I didn't nail His ankles and His feet physically to the cross, but by extension, by my choice and nature, by me being a sinner, I invariably nailed him to the cross. And so did you. We all did. And then it says here, and put him to death. Now, you might say, no, 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 no. I've read Scripture. Scripture says the, the, the Jews really didn't kill him. The, the Romans really didn't kill him. One of them pronounced the death sentence. The other one actually carried it out. But we know Scripture says he willed himself to death up there, which to me is so significant. We cannot blame literally the Jews. We can't literally blame the Romans or the Gentiles. But in all of that scene, we can blame humanity because that's what we're divided into, Jews. Gentiles, and then again the church if you've trusted Christ as Savior. So in a sense, we did nail him to the cross. We did put him to death because of our sin. He had to die. Why? Because that's part of the foreknowledge. Why? Because that's part of the predetermined plan. Now let me make sure you understand this. In this context, you see two tensions going on at the same time. The first tension is how controlled God is and what he had to do so that we could be saved. That's his work. That's the sovereign will and work of God. Call it sovereign grace if you want. At the other side of this tension is that we still created the problem by what we did or didn't do. And therefore, we now have only one way to get out of that. And that is by believing he did all of that for us, believing that it's not by good works, and then truly by ourselves placing our faith alone in him. And so there is our own choice of whether or not we're going to choose to trust Christ as Savior. On the other hand, God predetermined all of that. And I would like to add this. In His great love for you and for me, He predetermined it so that you would hear this. So that you could put your faith in Jesus Christ. So there's this wonderful divine plan that is marked out for you and me. That's a jewel. That's worth more than anything the world could give me. That God had me in His mind because I know that Christ was part of Him who had me in His mind at the cross. Let's look at the second jewel. We're going to take that out of the bag now and look at it as well. The second jewel is the display of His divine power. This is so incredible. Let's go back to verse 24 now. Here's what it says in verse 24. He displayed His divine power. But God raised him, Christ, up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Man, you talk about Jesus being God. You talk about Jesus who's man who died on the cross, but yet as God-man, that he created the world, that he is in charge and he's large, that he could then take Christ's body who is dead, 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 dead. His body was completely dead. And then take that and give it life again. And that's incredible power. And the birth pangs mean, yep, he went through the pangs of, 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 of birth, that agony. That's what that pretty much means. And you women who have given birth, and we men, we can only experience it if we're in the room with you while you're going through it vicariously, but not really. But I will tell you, ladies, from a masculine point of view, that while you're there and if the husband's in the room, um, he doesn't feel the pain, but he has a different kind of pain, a pain maybe that you won't have. And I'm not saying his is greater than yours. I'm not even going to say that it's equal to yours. But he is suffering something. And it's just natural. Part of the natural part of it is most men are providers and protectors. They want to provide you with all that you need so that you can be protected against anything that will assault you. Your thinking, your emotions, your body, even you spiritually. And so let me just make it real simple. Men are fixers. Men are fixers. And when you're going through all of that, they can't fix that. And they hate to see you suffer knowing that you're bearing and birthing their child too. And so there's this helpless, hopeless. And maybe that's why these guys, they look at this and they say, I can't see my wife go through this. I can't hear her go through this. And I certainly don't like all the stuff that goes with it. And you know what I'm saying because we have kids here. And so what do they do? They pass out. All (laughs) right? So there's a pain. And while women go through it, mothers, I should say, they often do this. And they say, I don't want to go through this again. You give them a little while and pretty soon it's okay. I was with someone recently and they said in our family, there, there were nine kids in the family. I said, I got to meet that mother. All right. But again, the pains and then the resurrection. So watch this. The agony of that death that Christ experienced ended with the result of the resurrection. And the cause was his power. That's power, folks. Um, When we were living in Hawaii, I was on call a lot to do funerals. And uh, of unsaved people, I've had you would not believe the backgrounds of people I had to do a funeral for that weren't saved, that were pagan out the kazoo. You, you just can't imagine uh, coming up with all the motorcycles and, and, and big entourages with the roughest characters and now they want me to preach this message and how do you do that? Well, sometimes we would get right to the grave site. And we get to the grave site, beautiful grave area. The guy was former military, many of them were. We'd be at Punchbowl, which is known as the Arlington Cemetery of the Pacific. And if you've been to Hawaii, you know what I'm talking about. And so while we're there, you can see all the graves, all of that. And so as I begin to talk to these family members around this rough and tough, hard to diaper guy that's now in the grave, or nearly in the grave, I would say, you know, I want to talk to you about this military guy. He's a really great military guy, and I thank him for what he's done for his country. We've listened to the honor guard. We've heard the... Rifles being shot, we folded the flag, heard taps, we're ready to go. I said, I'd like to tell you about another military man. This military man happened to be the commander-in-chief of the United States military, the first one who became president, George Washington. A lot of debate goes on on what kind of religious man he was, and I said, I'm not here to try to figure all that out. But here's what I can tell you, dear ones is that where George Washington is buried, and it's not at the monument in D.C., he said, you go down this path, a sidewalk, there's an archway, and above the archway, chiseled in that archway, happened to be a Bible passage. I'd like to think, because I have no other reason not to believe this, it was probably the favorite Bible passage of George Washington. If not, certainly his family. That Bible passage that is put above that um, archway is Romans eleven twenty five 25, and 26. So whether or not George Washington believed it or not, I do know it's an important one and you now are alive and you can hear this. Listen to these words. Jesus is speaking them and he says this. I am the resurrection and the life. It means I came back from the dead. I resurrected. I made myself rise from the grave, but I'm also alive forevermore. goes on to say, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. Let me say that slowly. He or she who believes in me, Christ speaking, will live even if he dies. I said, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say behave. It doesn't say believe and behave. It doesn't even say believe. It says, believe in me, Christ. That person will live even if he dies. How does that occur? How do you live even if you die? Well, I'm made up of body, soul, and spirit. My body will decay. Or if you cremate me, or are eaten by sharks if I'm in the ocean. It doesn't matter. My body's going to be gone. But the real me is the soul and the spirit. That's going to exist forever. I'll either exist in hell or die forever. If I don't believe in Christ, but if I do believe in Christ, the real me is going to live forever with him. There's nothing I can do to make that magic happen. It's mystical, it's powerful, supernatural, it's beyond our thinking, but it doesn't eliminate the truth of it. it goes on to say, and everyone, which now includes you, who lives. And believes in me, Jesus says, will never die. Now when I have the crowd there at gravesite, I'll say there There are four more words that's framed into a question. And I'm going to let Jesus ask you this question as if he was standing next to me. And here are the four words. Do you believe this? Do you? The power of the resurrection that took a dead Jesus, gave him life, but he did more than that. Hold your place here in John. I'm so excited about teaching Ephesians, so I'm going to give you a little prequel here, all right? Go to Ephesians 1, all right? Turn to Ephesians 1. If you can't find it, that's all right. Just listen, I'm going to read it to you. The resurrection power that's found in Christ is provided to you and me. Ephesians 1.18 starts out by saying this. Paul writing now to mostly Gentiles, but there's certainly some Jews there. A lot of people believe there's a lot of Jews in the church. Very well could be. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. It's another way by saying, I, I pray that your mind is fully tuned right now, that you fully grasp this. You may be enlightened. I want you to really get this. So that you will know and underline the word "know," so that you really know this. what is the surpassing greatness of his power? Let's pause for that a moment for a moment. He says, "I want you to really have your heart turned in this direction. I want you to fully know all of this stuff, that this power is so great, it is so surpassing, anything we could fully comprehend. I kind of want to get you to know this." Now he goes on to say, "Who did you write that?" To? He says. Toward us who believe. Now while it's short here, it's the idea, those of us who believe in Christ as the Lord who died and rose again. As us who believe that the whole trinity or the deity exists. That we believe that there's power and it's beyond our ability to under fully understand it. And all that power has been directed to us, especially when we trusted Christ as Savior. Now let me pause and get a little theological for you, just a little bit.